Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined with Annie Weaves. She's my friend. She's a paranormal investigator. She's the host of Serial Spirits podcast. And I want to welcome her to my show. Leslie, thank you so much. You know, I love talking on your podcast because I feel like our conversations are just phenomenal. We always have great questions and great responses. (laughs) Thank you. You do. So every time I get to come on and have a conversation, I'm excited about it. Well, you are so sweet. Thank you. Um, I was excited when you said, let's talk about something that I've never had on my podcast. I've never talked about the Mothman or Mothman. I don't know if there's a the in front of it at all. But what I did is I did a little bit of research, but I don't know as much as you know. So I'm just going to let you tell my listeners kind of a little brief background of what's going on with the Mothman. And then we're going to kind of get into what we think this thing is, what you've heard, all the things. How's that sound? That sounds good. So I'll start off by telling everybody who, you know, may have listened to Serial Spirits before. I started as just a paranormal investigator, just a ghost hunter. When I started doing paranormal investigating 15 years ago, I had no knowledge, had never really done any research about anything besides ghosts and creepy places, right? Right. So it wasn't until 2018 when we started Serial Spirits that I really started getting this interest in things like cryptids and UFO and EBE encounters, extraterrestrial biological entities, Mm. conspiracy theories that tie into a lot of this stuff. And it opened up this brand new world that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And that sounds kind of crazy and, and conspiracy, you know, theorist, but it really is. And so in 2018, I decided that I was going to take my first kind of foray into cryptid hunting mm-hmm. and was going to go to an area that is most well known around here for its Mothman sightings and ties to the original Mothman sightings in West Virginia in the 1960s. So I'm born and raised in southern West Virginia. The town that I grew up in is about an hour, just over an hour south of Point Pleasant, which is... it's close. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yes. And so I live even closer now. I moved north to Huntington, and so I'm within 40 minutes of Point Pleasant now. So, I mean, it's it's literally just hop, skip, and a jump up the Ohio River. Okay, gotcha. Okay, see, I didn't know that. That's good information. So no wonder you're like, I know all about the Mothman. Let's talk about it. Right, (laughs) but I didn't until about 2018 when I really really started kind of diving into it after... I had a very bizarre encounter in that area that is believed, at least by a lot of the locals here, to be where the Mothman came from. So you have to go back to World War II to kind of understand the story behind Mothman, the history behind it. World War II, the U.S. government was afraid of an attack on the West Coast by Japan. Mm -hmm. The West Coast was where the majority of the U.S. munitions, creation stations, and storage areas were held. And so the government went inland into some of these remote places and found areas that they decided they were going to build 
these munitions areas where they're creating and storing things that they were using for the war. Mason County, West Virginia, which is the neighboring county over, was one of those areas. Mm. And there's a very remote area in Mason County, just outside of Point Pleasant, where they did that. They bought this land from a guy who did his work in timber. And they bought the land from this guy and built all of these enormous igloo-shaped concrete bunkers. And in the center of these bunkers, there is a radioactive runoff pond that is still there that's just left from whatever they used to create munitions during World War II. This place is like a time capsule. You can still walk there. You go there right now. It's a little more protected now than it was a few years ago, and and I, I have my theories behind that too. But it's also a place during the Mothman Festival weekend that a lot of people would go up there Mm. and just kind of run around in the woods and see if they could find anything creepy. And that's exactly what we were doing that night. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So we had a group of friends. Most of them were podcasters from all over the country. And we decided we were going to go out there that night. Mm. We were definitely not the only people out there. Mm. There were tons of people out there who were doing the same things. And so the way these bunkers are set up, they're off of a one-lane semi-paved road. And there are just these trails that go back into the woods. Mm. And the trails will each have four or five bunkers on them. And then you get to the end where it butts up against the next property. And that's it. So we started at one trail and just started taking off down through the woods. We would get to the end of that one. We would come back out. Mm -hmm. We had been out there several hours. And by this time, the group had dwindled down to just myself and Brendan, my co-host on the podcast, Mm -hmm. and our friend Toby, who had come up from Texas. And since we're local, we thought we're going to see this through as long as Toby wants to be out here. He just drove a hell of a way (laughs) to get here to traipse through the woods with us. So we'd been out there a few hours, and as we're kind of getting tired, we're like, you know, everything out here is starting to look the same. It is completely, totally pitch dark out there. There's nothing but our flashlights lighting the way. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting. It's disorienting. And we were like, this is going to be the last one. We get to the very end of this row of bunkers, myself, Brendan, and Toby, and we've looked around. It looks exactly the same as the rest of them, and we decide we're going to turn back. As we turn back and head towards the entrance of the bunker, we hear a woman in the distance screaming for help. What? So it stops. It catches our attention. (laughs) Toby runs outside first. Brendan is standing in the doorway of this bunker, and I'm just behind him. I walk close enough to the doorway to see this woman emerge from the woods. She has no flashlight. She's totally alone, and she's screaming for help. What? Toby gets to her, and she explains to him that her granddaughter is out here with a group of friends, kind of doing the same thing that we're doing, Mm. and she's experiencing some type of a medical emergency, Mm. and she's trying to get her to help. And so Toby takes off in the woods with this woman, leading her out with his flashlight. And Brendan and I are standing there, you know, just scratching our heads saying, what the heck just happened? It was just very, very out of place. And our number one question was, how did this woman make it back this far into the woods? I mean, it it is, when I say secluded, it's secluded. 
and dark. Wow. And so we're just kind of wrapping our heads around all of it. And Brendan walks out of the bunker and I'm standing in there alone, just myself and my flashlight. Mm. And the only way that I could describe the feeling that I got in that moment was the feeling of not being alone. It's like all of these creepy places that I've spent the night in, when you get that weird burst of energy that you recognize that something else has entered into your space. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know that feeling. Yes. So when I turn to look at the back of the bunker where there was nothing before, there was now this being. What? Okay, this is this is going to sound crazy. It took me a long time to tell anybody this story. So, <laughs> right. The way that I would describe this being was that it was more human than inhuman, completely the, the most pale skin, mm. that it was like almost translucent, almost blue. It had no hair. It appeared to be male, was wearing what I could only describe as a men's 1950s or 60s, like a male nurse's uniform. Have you ever watched the movie uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah. Okay. So, like, that very starched, white polyester, it had short sleeves, buttons all the way up the front, like the little preacher's collar, and the pants were pleated, very what? sterile looking. What? And it had the most enormous blue eyes. It just, the eyes were disproportionate to the, to the rest of the head. Yeah. And this being is just standing there smiling at me. Okay, no. No, it was not. It, it, oh. it was. It was. So as I stand there, I'm kind of processing what I'm seeing in the moment. <laughs> yeah. I know that this thing is not physically standing in my space. Oh. But I am having this, this physical reaction to some type of a visualization that I'm seeing. It was like something teleported into this space for a second and then was gone. Oh. Oh. So it's maybe a residual kind of thing? I don't know. So I turn to say something to Brendan, like, let's get the hell out of here right. or something like this. Yeah. And when I turn back again, there's nothing there. Mm. This all took place in probably 10 to 15 seconds. Wow. Me turning, seeing this, getting the feeling of I don't want to be here anymore and turning around and it's gone. Oh so I get God. back. I don't say anything to Brendan or Toby or any of our other friends until we get back to the main road. Mm. And we discover that Toby has made it out of the woods with this woman. She did, in fact, find her granddaughter. The granddaughter was okay, although there were police and ambulances there by now. Mm. And we were like, okay, we're done. As we're standing beside the car, I turn to Brendan and I tell him that I saw something back there. Yeah. And when I describe it to him, he stops me. He goes over, he gets Toby, and he says, Toby, do you still have your digital recorder? He was recording some some audio for his podcast. Mm -hmm. And he says, yes. And he said, turn it on. Annie, tell him what you just told me. And so I tell him again. Yeah. And they look at each other and then look at me and said, that sounds like what they described in some of these UFO and EVE encounters as a Nordic race. What? Right. So I have no idea what he's talking about at this point. I get to the car and I Google it. And it's exactly what I saw in the bunkers. Mm. Most of the pictures of Nordics have very blonde hair. This had no hair. There, were, there was no hair. That was the only difference. Mm -hmm. Point Pleasant and the area surrounding in the 1960s, 
was well known, not just for the cryptid sightings, but for UFO and extraterrestrial biological entity encounters that most people consider some of the first recorded sightings of the men in black. Oh, wow. And a lot of these sightings were reported by people who were locals. These entities would come to local homes, would come to local businesses, and they would describe them as just these ethereal type beings, most of the time dressed in out-of-place type dress that would interact very bizarrely with the people who were there and then would just be gone. Wow. I don't know what I saw that night, but my feeling is that the area in and around Point Pleasant, you know, you talk about these flap areas, UFO, where people encounter just these, the high magnitude of sightings. Mm -hmm. We dug into a lot of this in a series that we did for Serial Spirits, and I think a lot of it has to do with technology and natural resources. I I don't know. But that was the first time that I had encountered something that caught me so off guard, number one, that it frightened me. Mm. And number two, that I had to step back and say, for the first time, I've, I've realized that there's something more to this. There is something more to these sightings that people have had in Point Pleasant. And I want to know what it is. Right. Okay. First of all, what the heck? Um, I would have been scared out of my mind if I'd seen something like that. And then it smiled at me. Yeah. No, no. Uh, (laughs) And the thing is, you're a paranormal investigator. You're used to hearing things. You're used to experiencing feelings. You're not probably used to seeing a whole lot of those kinds of things, right? No, no, not in the least. I mean, and this, to me, did not feel, when you ask if, if it could have been a residual energy, I do think it could have been. But this felt much more present in my space yes. than residual energies that I have encountered in haunted locations, right? Yeah. This felt like this entity was attempting to interact with me. Yeah, no, I was going to say, it's interacting with you. It's yeah. smiling at you, right? Right. Oh. It, it, it got my attention. It smiled at me almost to say, you know, I'm here. I don't know. I, I don't know. And it just, it baffled me. And so from there, we started doing all of this research about, well, we started in the area that we live in and in West Virginia and kind of went out and found this pattern of UFO and EBE sightings that were a lot like that in other places, mm-hmm. making me feel like, I wasn't alone in this made me feel like it was okay to share it with other people. Right. And when I, um, and guys, I actually told Annie this before we started recording, but I didn't tell her everything. I actually spoke to Christina Curran and she's our resident medium on the podcast and to find out what she thought or her guides thought what the Mothman was. And one thing she did tell me that I'll tell you before I tell you what her guide said that this was, there seems to be a weak spot in the veil in this area. She did for sure confirm that. And if that's the case, maybe that's somehow how this creature was able to just kind of interact with you for the few seconds it did. Yeah, I believe that fully. And and when you go to Point Pleasant, I I talked with Christina about her first trip to Point Pleasant not long ago. And she said, you know, from the time she got there, her ears buzzed and it's disorienting. And you feel that. You feel that when you're there. It's just like you're stepping into... I don't want to say another world, but it feels separate 
like literally when you enter the town there, it's right there on the Ohio River. Mm-hmm. It feels like you have been separated from the outside. That's the only way that I really? can describe it. It's yeah. almost like maybe walking into a different dimension, right? It does. It, it feels like like an alternate space. Yeah. And I don't, it sounds crazy no, I mean, to even talk about it to people. <laughs> But then you go there and you have these experiences and you think, okay, there is something to that. And so we started in this this research that opened our eyes and our minds to so many different things and actually caused us to have more experiences that were like that. Things that have been mind and life altering and have changed my perspective about ultra-terrestrial, extraterrestrial, and where we lay in between. Right. And it's funny you say ultra-terrestrial, because when I talked to Christina, her guides seem to think that's what the Mothman is. It's not extra, it's ultra. And what ultra is, is more from the earth. It's from below the earth. Yes. And Mm -hmm. so um, it's not extraterrestrial, and everybody knows what that is. But she seems to think that's her guides are telling her, and they're interdimensional. So they don't stay here. And that makes total sense from what you said. And you and I did not talk about this because you said, don't tell me, tell me while we're recording, because I want to be surprised if nothing else, or at least um, validated that something happened. And it did. So wow, this is amazing. Yeah, it did. It felt like sliding into another time, another dimension. Mm -hmm. It's like this passing these ships passing on the sea right the space is so huge but it it, and it seems so out of place but it happens in that time period and and it happened to me there and I think it happened because I literally said before we went that night I want to see something I want to experience something I want to know if this is real or if it's something that has been storytelling for a lot of years And I think that was the universe's way of saying, oh, hold up, slow your roll. It is real. And you are a very small part of this reality that we live in here. Right. So what you saw maybe was more of of an extraterrestrial. We're thinking the Mothman is more ultra-terrestrial, correct? I don't know that what I saw wasn't ultra-terrestrial. Because I think a lot of these things that we are seeing here, whether it's Mothman, Bigfoot, some of these extraterrestrial biological entities and ultraterrestrial biological Mm -hmm. entities, you know, the only difference is where they're from. I think there are a lot of ways that creatures like this could be ultraterrestrial. Maybe they are here in this specific area because of what the government dabbled in here during World War II and left behind here could be protecting here, could still be protecting something. And that's a little bit, I guess, where the conspiracy theory behind all of it comes in. And like I said to you, you know, a lot of the people who are here are frightened by the premise of the Mothman and UFOs and all these things. But they tie a lot of it back to the government and what the government did here during World War II and left behind here. I mean, literally, it, it's they just picked up and walked away mm. with a radioactive pond in the middle of it. Is right. somebody not still watching this area? Right. And another thing is, too, you know, there's a lot of indigenous tribes that used to live there that were, you know, 
all along that land way before we all came. And so you wonder if some of that is from the Native Americans, then you wonder if some of it's folklore, like you said. But I also think that there's just, it's almost like because every single time someone talks about the Mothman, he always appears right before a big disaster. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times, yes. So when, when you talk about the Mothman, Historically, here in West Virginia, the big disaster that it was tied to or that it kind of culminated with was the collapse of the Silver Bridge in the mid-1960s. So the Silver Bridge is the bridge that connects West Virginia to Ohio and saw a ton of traffic and collapsed in December of 1967, I think, and killed 42 people. So the sightings really began in like 1966 in the area of Mason County, culminated with the collapse of the Silver Bridge. And a lot of people said that it went away. But I know people who have experienced other things. I've experienced it myself. I don't think it went away. I think the focus shifted. Right. I think the focus shifted from those sightings to this terrible tragedy that happened, the collapse of the bridge. And everybody was so focused on that and why it happened and the loss of life there that it shifted the focus from something that was very scary to something that was very real. Right. And, you know, I did hear also that there were reports of someone or people seeing Mothman right before 9-11. Like you said, the Silver Bridge, Chernobyl, the war in Afghanistan. Yeah, the war in Afghanistan. So, I mean, uh, I you wonder if it's just one of those things because you know at first I was like well maybe it's a tulpa and it's folklore and people kind of just made it up and all that but then just hearing what you've said and what Christina thought her guides think about it and then just reading up about it you're right this isn't going away it's almost like because it's not hurt anyone I know there's been like there's been reports of like dead dogs or whatever in the area but I don't think it's physically hurt anyone correct no. And I mean, you look at our area, you're more likely that a dog is attacked by a pack of coyotes right. or, yeah. or bears. We have black bears in our area, something that's very physical that could take the life of an animal. And I know that there's one very specific Mothman encounter that happened locally here. I cannot remember the guy's name, but he reported this TV interference and then he had this German shepherd. The German shepherd ran out in the woods and he found it dead later. Mm-hmm. There could be a lot of very real reasons or other things right. physically that right. attacked and killed that dog that I would put leaps and bounds before exactly. Mothman. Yeah. But yeah. you're right. There are Mothman sightings in other areas. There have been a number in Chicago as well. And again, I have theories about that between natural resources and how we ship our natural resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, when you look at things like Chernobyl, that was a a nuclear explosion. This is something that that the government would keep close to the chest if it happened. And I I don't downplay that that could have something to do with the activity that we have experienced here and then in other places that have experienced the Mothman sightings. Well, and what's crazy to me, I agree. And what's crazy to me is once he appears right before, he doesn't come back right away or he, they don't see him again until something else happens. So it's almost like he just kind of disappears and just goes on. So it's almost like, are you trying to warn people? Are you trying to protect the land? Is it just because the veil's thinner? I mean, what what is it? I, obviously, we don't know, but there's a lot of theories and all that. So... John Keel's novel he wrote and made the Mothman prophecies. 
I don't know how much that was based on the real life stories. Do you know if it was really based on all that? So John Keel was a journalist from New York Mm -hmm. who really just became kind of fascinated. I don't know why with the Mothman activity and the UFO and the EBE sightings that were happening in and around Point Pleasant in the 60s when all of this happened. Mm -hmm. And so John Kill came here to kind of do his own research and writing about it. I've always taken what Kill said and wrote with a grain of salt Mm. because he was a fiction writer as well. I mean, he wrote stories for a living, right? Right. But there were a lot of things that he touched on, and he made friends with a woman named Mary Heyer. Mary was the newspaper in Point Pleasant. And when a lot of these encounters started happening in the 60s with the locals, and they wanted to tell somebody about it, they told Mary Heyer because they trusted her. Mm. And so they exchanged stories. They went out and she kind of developed this uh, camaraderie between the two of them. And in turn, people began uh, trusting Keel and telling their stories. And he started telling his own, basically. So John Keel wrote the book, The Mothman Prophecies, in the mid-1970s, documenting the things that happened to him while he was doing his research here in Point Pleasant that touched on, you know, some of these very paranormal type feelings. Right. Here's the bizarre thing that I will tell you, and it's hard to explain to someone who hasn't experienced it. Anybody who's researched any type of this high strangeness activity, and I know that's a big buzzword right now, this high strangeness in the paranormal community. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody wants to know what it is. Until you kind of research it for your own and develop your own theories It doesn't really make sense. Mm. What I can tell you is that when we started researching it, when we started researching Mothman and Indrid Cold, UFO and EBE sightings that were related to our area and other areas that were heavy in natural resource production and shipment and nuclear production and shipment, Mm -hmm. these things started connecting in a way that it blew my mind. And we started having our own kind of paranormal experiences while we were doing this research. The activity in my house picked up. We started experiencing things that I had never experienced in this house before. And I actually had a second very bizarre encounter at my parents' home, at my childhood home. And this was probably the last thing that happened to me in doing this research a couple of years ago. And it culminated... That evening, because I had been watching the Mothman prophecies. Really? Yes. So the book was written in like 1975. The movie, The Mothman Prophecies, wasn't made until the very early 2000s. And it's a very broad spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they cast Richard Gere to kind of play this character that John Keel was. And to talk about some of the experiences that Keel talked about in the book. It's very dramatic. Most of what you see on the Mothman Prophecies is dramatized. It is okay. it is not by the book. Okay. But there are a couple of experiences on there that John Keel did report having. And there's a scene in the movie that impacted me that culminated with us having this very bizarre experience in the middle of the woods in West Virginia that I, I still can't explain. Really? 
really. No, because honestly, the fact that you can't explain what happened to you, it all just coincides. I mean, there's just something about that area. And I don't know if it's because it's, it's like some kind of deity that has manifested through the feelings of people that have been lost or, you know, the dreadful feelings or whatever. You and I talked before we started recording about the indigenous people that live there. Um, you know, there's a lot of cryptids uh, surrounding the Native American you know, peoples of this country, you know, whether it's a skinwalker or a shapeshifter or whatever, um, they had some, I, I love the fact that Native Americans have a beautiful way of treating Mother Earth. But it makes you wonder if this is something indigenous to that, because he, if it's a male, I don't know, I guess it's a male, the Mothman seems to only come out when something really bad happens, something, whether it's natural or man-made, seems to be more sinister, or it seems to not be as friendly, maybe when it's a man-made thing. I mean, earthquakes are one thing. But you know, we're talking chemical spills, we're talking, you know, um, disasters when planes go into buildings, or um, bridges that aren't um, what they should be, and then they have to finally get a team to go out and it's now a law to have bridges inspected. So it's just one of those things where, you know, what is that common denominator? And it's all about, you know, what are you doing to the earth? And unfortunately, loss of life, and then manifesting, maybe even manifesting something from that. I don't even know. I think it could be, there's a level of it to me that feels protective. And that a lot of that goes back to the indigenous factor that we talk about, right? Uh, The patterns that we saw in travel and natural resources and natural resource disasters. Mm -hmm. And at some point it kind of started to drive us crazy. And we weren't recording the podcast a lot, and we were just taking some time to try to digest everything that was happening there. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, I landed on the Mothman prophecies, Mm -hmm. which collectively we have watched and or read two dozen times between the two of us. But I just turned it on. And so for the first time ever, and I don't know if it was because this is the first time that I've watched it since I started doing this research. Mm -hmm. And I started making connections in my own brain or if it's because of the storm and the energy that was going on there or because the patio doors open. I'm staring out in the very dark woods. When I turned it on, I got this very overwhelming sense of anxiety and an energy that I had never experienced in my home there. Oh, wow. And I couldn't explain it. I just I just felt so anxious Mm. And I looked over at Brendan to kind of see if he was feeling the same thing. It was very obvious that he wasn't. He's kind of scrolling on his phone, also kind of, you know, watching the movie. And the more the movie goes on, the more anxious that I get. I'm just very uncomfortable. And it kind of culminated with this scene in which, and John Keel writes about this in the book, he's driving along the backwoods of West Virginia, just outside of Point Pleasant, in the middle of the night when his car breaks down. Mm. In real life, Kill does go up to the neighbor and the neighbor is very suspicious of him and thinks later, he says that he thinks the, uh, the neighbor thought he was a man in black because the, yeah, because the community was so on edge at that point. Mm -hmm. He thought that, that the person he approached actually thought that he was some type of an extraterrestrial entity. In the movie, they kind of swing it around in a different direction. Richard Gere goes up to this house and he knocks on the door and he asks to use the phone. And the man invites him in 
but the homeowner is very anxious asking Richard Gere what he's doing there. And eventually it kind of comes to a head and the homeowner puts a gun in his face Mm. and says, why are you doing this to me? Why do you keep coming to my home in the middle of the night? What's happening? The sheriff shows up and explains to Gear, who is, you know, Richard Gear is killed in the movie, says, you you know, some of the locals have been experiencing things that are a little weird. Everybody's a little on edge. And the man says, no, he has shown up at my house in the middle of the night every night for the last week. And I want to know why he's doing here. He comes in, he knocks on my door and then he leaves. What? I don't know why. But at this point in the movie, I was completely unglued. (laughs) I got up. I closed the patio doors. I close the windows. I go to the front door, make sure the front door is locked. I lock the mudroom door on my way back through. My dad is already in his bedroom. He's asleep. Everybody else in the house is asleep but me. Mm. So the movie plays out. I go to bed and think that's that, right? Right. At some point in the middle of the night, I was startled awake. Mm. And when I sit up in my bed, I see my dad standing over top of us watching us sleep. And I said, I kind of whispered to him, you know, baby and, and Brendan are in the bed with me. I said, dad, what are you doing? And he didn't answer me. And it's like, he's looking at me, but he's looking through me. Ooh, right. Yeah. And he doesn't respond to me. And so I give him, you know, 10 or 15 seconds. And I said again, dad, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I realized that he's in his pajamas and he's wearing his outdoor headlamp. Like this Rambo style (laughs) headband with a big flashlight on it that he would wear if he was hunting at night. And he shook his head almost like he kind of snapped out of whatever he was thinking about. And he whispers to me, he says, it was nothing. Go back to sleep. And I said, no, what happened? And he says again, I thought I heard something. It was nothing. Go back to sleep. Mm. So I laid back down. Obviously, I'm still like kind of freaked out from the movie before I'm freaked out from this happening. And I laid there for probably 20 or 30 minutes and was just about to doze back off. And I hear a very distinct sound in our household. And it's the very loud squeal of our mudroom door opening. Our our mudroom for the past 25 years has made this very loud squeal that like no amount of WD-40 will ever fix. (laughs) Yeah. It's so loud, but it's the, it's the one door that leads to the main entrance of the house. Mm. And I thought, my dad has gone back outside again. Mm. What is he looking for? What is he doing out there? Yeah. We're in a remote area. We are not close to the main road. We have neighbors, but no one within shouting distance. Right. And so I get up, I walk through the house, make it to the kitchen, to the mudroom door. And the mudroom door is closed and locked from the inside. I know that I just heard this door open. I know that I did. I was awake, but you can't, it's one of those old school doors that has the the flip lock on it. And so you cannot lock it or unlock it from the other side of the door. You Mm. can only lock it from the side that I'm standing on. Right, right. And so I unlock it. I walk to the front entrance of the house and I stand at the door, which is locked as well. And everything outside is so perfectly quiet. Mm. There are no insects. Mm. There are no dogs barking. Mm. There's no wind. There's no rain. It was so 
silence. That would be scary to me. Wow. That it was just abnormal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I sit there for a few minutes kind of soaking in that silence, thinking, I know that I just heard this door open. It very clearly didn't physically open. So why am I standing here right now? Right. My dad's not back outside because both the doors are locked. I walk past his bedroom on the way back through the house, uh, and I can hear him very lightly snoring in the bedroom. So it's obvious to me that he's not been up again. Right. And so I lay back down and kind of just shake the whole thing off. Mm -hmm. And by sunrise, my daughter was awake, and so was my dad. And I meet him in the kitchen as we're making coffee that morning. And I said to him, I was like, Dad, what were you doing outside last night? He has his back turned to me. He's standing at the kitchen sink. And he puts down whatever he's working with, like whatever he's doing with his hands. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't turn to look at me. And he said, I thought I heard something outside last night. Mm -hmm. And so I got my pistol and took a lap around the house and walked up on the hill just to make sure that everything was okay. Mm -hmm. And I said, what did you hear? And he just shakes his head like he doesn't want to tell me what he's heard. And I said, okay. You know, whatever. I kind of leave it alone and I'm making my coffee. And as I make my coffee and I turn to walk out of the kitchen, my dad turns to me and he said, you know, it sounded like somebody was knocking on our front door. Mm -hmm. And all I could think about was that scene that so freaked me out in the movie. And him talking about somebody knocking on the door. Every hair on my body is standing up right now. Because literally every time I think about it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you saw that in the movie and then all of a sudden, because your dad, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but that's in your mind. And then it actually happens at your house. What? My dad has never seen the Mothman prophecies. He won't watch movies like that. A lot of it has to do with religious belief. He has zero interest in any of it. Wouldn't have had any idea that that's even what we were watching that night. He wasn't even through the room where we were. Yeah. But literally, it was almost like that scene from the movie played out in our house that night. And you wonder if he was just kind of in shock, like, okay, maybe there is something to this paranormal stuff, but I don't want to admit it. And I'm in shock and I'm standing here making sure my daughter and her husband and our granddaughter's okay. And I'm just going to stare at him and make sure because I'm in shock. And then I'm just going to go back to my room. (laughs) I think it was more. Yeah, I think it was more that he was freaked out because he thought somebody was physically there. Yes. And it would be very abnormal for somebody to be physically there in the middle of the night because it is so remote. So for him to have heard somebody knocking on the door there, you know, and to know that his granddaughter is asleep in the bedroom over, he would have been hypersensitive to that. But to know that that was something that had very much freaked me out the night before, just watching that movie and to, you know, that common denominator of somebody knocking on your door in the middle of the night, invading your space, invading your privacy, making you feel that unease. I literally, in that moment, I couldn't say anything. I turned, I walked out of the kitchen and I didn't say anything about it until we got in the car to leave. And I told Brendan, I was like, you are not going to freaking believe what my dad said last night because he slept through the whole thing. <laughs> right. The whole thing. Oh, that's hilarious. And I told him, and, and he was like, yeah, that, that's, that's really weird. But this was the kind of stuff that kind of followed us when we started doing this research, these bizarre mm. parallels. And it makes you wonder. Yes. 
No, am I not. reaching? Well, and like, you, am it, I reaching? I don't know if you are because then I also here. Here's another thing that I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this, Annie, and I'm just going to ask you. Do you think you might have some gifts with um, any kind of psychic or you know, mediumship type gifts? Yeah, I do. And I've, I've talked to Christina about it. And, you know, I think some of that is, is the reason that I got into the paranormal. Mm-hmm. I've had experiences, you know, with all four of my grandparents dying. I've had dreams about them. They, mm-hmm. they have visited me. I have been visited by other entities when we have done uh, investigations. Absolutely, I do. Right. My great-grandmother, Josephine, who uh, Christina confirmed for me, is very much at the head of the line in my spirit guides was a green witch. Oh. And according to my maternal grandfather, had some, she and her sisters had some pretty awesome gifts. And people were a little afraid of them, sure. maybe for it. Yeah. But they were also the healers in their community. Mm. My maternal grandfather, I communicated with in dreams, both before and after he passed. Mm. And so, yes, I definitely think there's a lineage of something there. And maybe that's why. These types of things happen because I'm more open to making those connections than people who have closed themselves off to it and say, yeah, I don't think that's so you're reaching. Right. Well, it also, you know, validates the fact that this stuff is real. And, you know, because you do have abilities, um, you're like a moth to flame kind of thing, um, even though we're talking about the Mothman. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, seriously, I do think that sometimes you're a bright light, a beacon for some of these entities in this kind of aspect, and they follow you around. And, you know, but also some of the things that are talked about, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Some of it's your truth and some of it's maybe just a little bit of folklore. I do think there's something about the Mothman. I do think there's something there. I think there's something there with these ETs or ultra terrestrials as well. But anyway, I do think that there's something going on. And I do think that it's incredible that right before something really disastrous happens, a lot of times, I don't know about now, but a lot of times the Mothman was seen in some of these areas. And to me, that's, that's a big time warning, maybe a protection, you know, that kind of thing. So I mean, will we ever know the answers? Probably not. But I do think that they are attracted to people like you. And I think I might even have a little bit of ability here and there. I think everyone does, actually. Um, And it's just one of those things where, will we ever know? Probably not. But I just think it's so interesting. And that's why I was like, we need to talk about this. We need to come on and talk about the Mothman. So what are your thoughts? What is the Mothman? What are these ultra terrestrials? What is all this to you? When you talk about Mothman, I feel a more protective energy. Yes. And I think it could be something that it, I agree with Christina, ultra terrestrial, that could be an interdimensional being that maybe Native Americans in our past have called forth as a protector, yes. something, some type of natural being that has come forth. And maybe that's why it appears before these disasters happen. Yes. I believe that the ultra terrestrials, uh, you know, the universe is big, man. (laughs) And to think, to think that we are the only things that have ever been on or around planet earth is just kind of ignorant. Right. And so, yeah, I believe that there are things that have been here before us and will probably be here after we are gone. They may not all be tied together. Right. That's, but I, I feel a more protective energy when you talk about something like the Mothman or even Bigfoot. 
You know, I, I have to agree with that too, because, you know, uh, and I do think he's interdimensional. If he, if he does exist, if the Mothman does exist and, you know, I'm thinking maybe, yeah, there's that interdimensional to where they can come and go as they please. Cause it's not like we find, you know, Bigfoot bones or Mothman bones or any of that kind of, maybe they don't die in our dimension. I don't even know. Right. Yeah. Nobody does, but I, I believe that they're here. I believe that they come in to protect us. I, I don't fear any of this type of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and startling, maybe fear, no. And so I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Yeah. That's just my experiences with it as somebody who was just a regular ghost hunter who went out and attempted to, to find something like that. You know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, because if you ask the universe for it, it can come to fruition oh yeah so yeah. you're ready if you go out and you ask for something like that well and like I said you you know you're a seasoned paranormal investigator so not everything to you is paranormal you can probably debunk more things than you can't so um 100 percent yeah. yes yeah. so when this kind of stuff happens to you you take notice so you do <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. It, it opens your eyes to something different that you didn't even know could possibly right exist right, right. but is out there right and I love that we had this conversation because I've never talked to anybody about specifically Mothman or really uh, extraterrestrials like this so or ultra terrestrials um, it's just so interesting and we we could probably talk about this for hours but uh, I want all of my listeners to know where to find you so tell my listeners where they can find you your podcast all the things I host Serial Spirits podcast we are on all the major uh, podcast platforms, iTunes, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, Spotify. If anybody is interested in paranormal conventions, I'm actually speaking at the inaugural Appalachian Paracon. Nice. March, yeah, March 17th and 18th at the very haunted Blinner Hassett Hotel in Parkersburg, West Virginia. I am so excited yes. for this event. I went to the Blinner Hassett in the second grade and that's yes. And have been obsessed with it since then. They are just starting this Paracon this year. I'm going to be up there with Aaron Thompson, who was on Netflix's 28 days haunted. Sam Baltrusis is going to be up there. Heather Taddy, who God has been on paranormal state and portals to hell. They have a fantastic lineup. I don't know why they put me in there, but they did. So (laughs) (laughs) March 17th and 18th, Parkersburg, West Virginia at the Blinner Hassett Hotel. Tickets are on sale online if you go to the Blinner Hassett for the very first Appalachian Paracon. That's amazing. You know what? I'll have Annie send me the link for that and I'll add that to my show notes. I'll add her podcast to my show notes if you guys want to listen to her amazing podcast she does with her husband. And I think now she's pretty much doing it on her own because her husband's taking care of the baby while she's doing it on her own. So there you go. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've got a baby. Hey, listen, you know, we got to do what we got to do. But no, I love having you on. Um, I've gotten so many messages from the last time you were on telling us about all of your paranormal investigation stories, or at least the ones that really stuck out to you. And uh, I will have you back on again. And Annie, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It's always a pleasure, love. Thank you so much. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. 
So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist, and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again, and I will see you next week.